Well, this morning we're thinking about living by faith. Now, what is faith? This is what Mark Twain wrote about faith. There are those who scoff at the schoolboy, calling him frivolous and shallow, yet it was the schoolboy who said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Now, that's what some people think faith means, believing something that you know is not true. Faith is kind of a leap in the dark, blind faith, wishful thinking. Now, in fact, I'm sure there's even some Christians who have a Mark Twain kind of faith. Not really sure that Jesus rose from the dead, not totally confident about life after death, but it sounds good, so cross your fingers, hope it's true, wishful thinking. Now, when the Bible uses the word faith, it's not talking about that kind of, I hope it's true, faith. In the Bible, faith simply means trust or confidence in something. And when the Bible calls us to trust something, when God calls us to trust something, it never does it without giving us good reasons to do so. Now that's the kind of trust, confidence in something with a reason, that we show every day, isn't it? You came down here this morning and you sat on a chair. And you sat on the chair because you trusted that it would hold you up. You had faith in it. You had confidence in it. You had faith in this roof that when you walked in the door it wouldn't fall on your head. And you acted on that faith when you walked in. Um, you had faith when you turned on the tap this morning that the water was drinkable. You couldn't see, see the water in there. You couldn't see where it came from, but you trusted that it was drinkable. You had faith when you hopped in your car and turned the key or when you put your foot on the brake pedal. There's nothing mysterious or magical about faith. It's not a feeling. It's not wishful thinking. It's simply having confidence in something or someone and then acting on that confidence. We live by faith all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, not all faith is well-placed. You can have faith in something that's not true. So um, if I had a, a rickety chair with kind of one leg, um, that would be misplaced faith in that chair, wouldn't it? No matter how confident I was in a chair like that, my faith would achieve nothing. If I sat on it, I'd just kind of fall on the ground. So you can have misplaced faith. And the Bible passage we're looking at today, Paul wants to challenge us about what we place our confidence in, where our, what we place our faith in. Now we can go through life placing our confidence in all sorts of things around us that we can see like our possessions or our own abilities, confidence in our abilities or our health. And this passage is showing us that that would be misplaced confidence because the things that we see around us are temporary. And rather than having a misplaced confidence that will let us down in things that we can see, this part of the Bible encourages us to have a well-placed faith in something that we can't see. Have a skip and head down to chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Or down at chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. Now as we read on, and we'll get to it in a minute, we find out in this passage two things about the future that we must take into account 
as we live our lives now. And those two things in the future are the resurrection and the judgment. Now you might think, hang on, talking about the future and resurrection and judgment, we've just kind of jumped off that cliff into the wishful thinking la-la land of um, faith is kind of fingers crossed. Not at all. Uh, Paul doesn't want us to have some kind of a blind faith about life after death. He wants us to actually be sure of the future, so sure of the future that it will impact how we live now. And Paul says the reason that we can be sure about a resurrection in the future is because of the resurrection that happened in the past, the resurrection of Jesus. That's this first verse in your outline, chapter 4, verse 14. It's an important one. We know that the one who raised Jesus, the Lord Jesus from the dead, that's talking about the past, will also raise us with Jesus. We can be confident, we can be sure about a resurrection in the future because the one who's promised to raise us in the future has actually raised Jesus in the past. Now for us, the resurrection of Jesus might seem a long time ago. It was a fair long time ago. But for Paul, when he wrote to Corinthians... The resurrection of Jesus was only about 30 years earlier. Now that's about how long for us since the first Star Wars movie was released. Hands up who can remember the first Star Wars movie being released. There you go. When Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, there were people who could remember 30 years ago Jesus being raised from the dead. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he lists a lot of them off. And Paul is saying here that the same God that we saw raise Jesus from the dead promises that he will raise everyone from the dead and judge them. And that's why Paul had a confidence about the resurrection, because he'd seen it happen in the past. Now, for the rest of this um, this morning, I want to see how that confidence of Paul's in the future shapes the way that he lives now. So we're up to point two on your outline, and let's go all the way back to the start of the passage and verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. This letter written by Paul, was written at a time when he was under a lot of struggles. Later on, if you read on to chapter 6 and chapter 11, Paul lists some of his struggles. He was beaten up. He spent time in jail. He was caught up in riots. There were many sleepless nights where he was hungry and thirsty, cold and exposed. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. And on it goes. He's only just hanging on for his life. He's within an inch of being killed many times. In verse 9, that persecuted but not abandoned language, it's actually from a running race. It literally means he's being chased from behind but not caught, not overtaken, not left behind. And then the next um, phrase, struck down but not destroyed, that's boxing language. It's like he's been given the mighty punch that's knocked him to the ground but it hasn't knocked him out. He's pressured but not crushed, chased but not caught, knocked down but not out. Everywhere he goes, Paul is being pushed to the limits of his ability to cope. 
Everywhere he goes, he says, it's like he's carrying around death with him. Death is just staring at him in the face. And you've got to ask, if those were your circumstances, would you keep going on? I mean, Paul didn't have to live like that. Why didn't he just settle down in one place and get a job making tents? He was quite good at that. Why was Paul so determined to keep speaking to people about Jesus even though it meant a life of basically being on the verge of death all the time? He tells us in verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. That's from Psalm 116. You might want to look that up later. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. See, Paul keeps going because of his faith, because of his certainty about the future. Oh, he can see his body getting closer to death every day, but it's not what you can see that matters. It's what you can't see, the resurrection in the future. Verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, Paul compares his sufferings now, and let me tell you, Paul had a lot of sufferings now, to what is to come after this life. He weighs the two up on the scales, if you like. And compared to the weight of eternal glory that is coming for followers of Jesus, he says the, the troubles that he's going through now, and they seem like a lot, he actually calls them light and momentary. See, the glory is heavy, a lot of glory. The, the struggles are light. The, the glory is eternal. The struggles are temporary. The two are beyond comparison. And that's why Paul keeps going. He doesn't focus on the struggles around him. He focuses on the eternal glory waiting for him. Now, do you see the impact that can have for us as we go through struggles as Christians? I mean, when you feel discouraged as a Christian at, at times when it would just be easier to give in, why keep going? When you get opposition from family members because you come to church or because you try and invite them to things and they don't want to come or they just don't understand, why keep talking to them? Why keep bringing it up and getting in an argument? Why keep inviting them? When work and family and church and study are just all competing for our time, why not just drop out of church? Because you know there'll be a resurrection. That's why. Because there's more to this life than what we can just see around us. Because no matter what we might go through here, whether it's getting sick, whether it's getting old, whether it's getting killed, whether it's getting worn down, whether it's getting opposed for the gospel, Paul says that as Christians, verse 16, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That's the first way that our confidence about the future 
impacts our life now. It gives us the ability to endure hardships. Now, the second thing that it does is that it makes us look forward to and long for heaven. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, in other words, if we die, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. Paul is just hanging out for heaven, groaning for it. He would love Jesus to return and he could just put on his heavenly body now. Or he's just longing for the resurrection um, after he dies for a new body. See, this body, he says, is like a tent. Now, we went camping last week, the kids and I, and for us, camping is a novelty in a tent. I mean, it's fun setting up the tent and staying in it for a night because we, we choose to go and stay in a tent and we can choose to do it when the weather's nice and we can choose the location. And then when we've had enough, we can choose just to pack up and go home to our nice, warm, solid, permanent house. In Paul's day, tents weren't just a camping accessory. It's not like you just kind of want to break so you go and go camping in the tent. Imagine living in a tent all the time, and you didn't have a, a house to go home to. Nothing permanent. Just a tent that could blow down in a storm. Imagine your only home was a fragile tent that was slowly wearing out, and each time it rained, it got more leaks in it. That's what Paul says we're like in these bodies. We're wandering around life in bodies that are not permanent that are wearing down. But compared to this body, which is like a tent, Paul says we have a new body awaiting for us after the resurrection that is like a house, a permanent body waiting for us. In fact, that's what we're made for. We were made for an eternal body, not a temporary one. And that's why we feel the burden of being limited by such a short lifespan. That's not what we were created for. In fact, this is how a dad describes getting old to his two young kids. Value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices, and it goes by so quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. In your 30s, you raise a family, make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly and you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. And one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it's actually surgery. Your 60s, you have major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. 70s, you and your wife retire and start eating dinner at 2 o'clock, lunch around 10 and breakfast the night before. And you spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, 
How come the kids don't call? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke and you end up babbling to some nurse. Any questions, kids? That's from the movie City Slickers. It's a bit depressing, isn't it? I mean, where's the hope in that? What is there to look forward to? The Bible says our bodies are wasting away and we know it, we're dying. And it actually feels foreign to us, doesn't it, to be sick, to be tired. We were actually made for more and we know it. And that's what verse 5 is about. Talking about the resurrection and the new bodies and then it says, it is God who has made us for this very purpose. In other words, we were not created for these temporary bodies. We were created for an eternal existence and we know it. And that's why he says, verse 6, Therefore we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in this body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident and, I say, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Do you see how the resurrection changes how we live now? I mean, if there was no resurrection, then we should focus on what we can see, make our lives comfortable, extend our lives to the longest they can be, provided there's no pain, eat, drink, be happy, because tomorrow we die and that's the end. But Jesus' resurrection shows us that there's more to life than just what we can see. There's life after death, and that should change how we live now. Our faith should impact our lives here now. Blondin was a famous French tightrope walker. Um, he's famous for crossing Niagara Falls a few times on a tightrope. He first did it in 1859. There's a story once that Blondin appeared at the, on a tightrope at the top of Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow. And he said to the crowd there, do you believe that I can walk across the other side of this tightrope carrying this wheelbarrow? And they all said, yeah, you can do it. You're the great Blondin. And he says, you sure? You actually totally believe that I can walk across here with the wheelbarrow? And they said, yes, we believe you, Blondin. You can do it. We've seen you do it before. So then he said, have I got a volunteer? Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow and come with me? And there was deathly silence. No one. Now I could ask you as followers of Jesus, do you believe that there'll be a resurrection from the dead? And we could all say, oh yes, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. How many of you are living your life now in the light of the resurrection? How many of you are living by faith? Living as if all this stuff around us is temporary. Knowing that one day it'll be gone. Are you fixing your eyes on what is unseen? Or are your eyes just glued on everything around you? Are your eyes stuck on your possessions and your house and your investments? Are you trying to make for yourself some permanence here? That will never work. That will only bring grief. Because this is not permanent. The stuff around us is not permanent. Our bodies are not permanent. What is permanent, what lasts, is the impact that we make for Jesus. The life lived by faith, not by sight. Verse 18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray.
Father God, we know that it is a burden living in these bodies of sin, living this side of the fall in a world that has thorns and, and death. And Father, we also know that that is a result of our disobedience of you. And we're sorry for that. And we're sorry for the way that we've treated you. And we know that this is exactly what we deserve. But Father, thank you that in your mercy you sent your Son, our Lord Jesus, to die for us. Thank you that he rose from the dead. And thank you that you promised to those who believe in him, not only will you forgive us for our sins, but you give us the promise of eternal life with you. The promise of a new body that won't wear out. Eternal joy and bliss. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to have faith in your promises. What could be more trustworthy than the God who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead? So we pray that we might live our lives here in the light of that future. Help us to be less concerned with the things around us that we can see. And help us to be most concerned with Jesus and his kingdom. Father, help us to long for that day and to look forward to it. And we pray that you might bring it soon. Amen.